This is the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast. This is episode 53 of the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast, the most unique podcast in the business. My name is Mark McGee, and today we're going to be talking about making unique games. And so I have two unique designers here with me tonight. Yudi, say hello to everybody. Hello. Yudi, um, when I was in college, there was a, a store called the University Book Exchange, because textbooks... They're pretty expensive, um, and what they would do is they would sell used books at the University Book Exchange, um, and then they, whenever you bought a book from there, there would be a sticker on it that says U-B-E, um, and that reminds me of you because it's almost the same way that you spell your last name. So uh, there you go. <laughs> That's a good way that everybody can remember how to spell U-D. Um, now, Kevin, Kevin Udy, do you go by UD. Kevin or do you go by Udy? Yeah, I've never met anybody. I I mostly go by Udy like when I'm gaming, but oh, right. the rest of the world mostly calls me. I answer to whatever is directed at me. All right, and our other person here with us tonight is TC Petty. Hello, TC. Yeah. Hey, what's going on? Hey. hey. Now we have never had either of you two on an episode of the podcast before. TC, you've had those uh, deep design segments that have been hosted by the the podcast, but you haven't been on one of the, I guess, one of the more proper episodes right now. Um, so because That's both of you are new, we will be doing a segment called New First Heimer Palooza. <laughs> the First oh, okay. Heimer Palooza That's segment. Cool. Yeah, and you may be thinking, that sounds like a celebration you know, I'm here for the cold hard facts, but you know what better things to celebrate than getting to know new friends? So, uh, so here we go. We'll go, um, Kevin, Kevin Udy. We'll start with you. Um, let's just get to know. Can you introduce yourself a little bit um, for people who don't know you and are hearing you for the first time on this episode of the podcast? You can ask me some more specific questions too. But I, my name is Kevin Udy. I live in the Asheville area, and uh, Asheville just recently kind of glommed on to the. Game designers in North Carolina. We've been in North Carolina all, all along, and we've been designing games. But uh, <laughs> now we're official, I think. Um, nice. And I uh, went to my first couple of conventions this year and getting to know more people. So I feel like I'm new in the world of game design, even though like, all the game designers out there have been messing around with games for a long time. Yeah, what um, what got you started uh designing games i the earliest things i remember i remember trying to play chess with a friend and we thought what if we make it real-time chess <laughs> and and then happen to solve the problems that came with that like what how when somebody would get in check then the game would freeze and we'd take care of it but that wasn't a very exciting endeavor one of the other early things i remember is thinking when clue ends when uh you determine who the murderer is it seems like there's a great game to happen, you know, when it's time to catch the murderer. And so that was a, an early idea for designing games before I knew what I was doing. But that's, it's, it was basically messing with existing games. I liked the games, but I wanted more from them. Nice. And you said you attend the meetings in Asheville. 
Um, and that group has been, at least under the the name of the Game Designers of North Carolina, for for like a year or so now. Were you um, were you involved with designing games even before then? Yes, uh, and I gathered, gotten together a few designers a couple of times before that to to meet and play each other's prototypes and give each other feedback, but nothing ever stuck before this past year when we started meeting regularly. All right. So you've noticed a significant difference between uh, now that you're reading, meeting, I guess, with more regularity with consistent people compared to um, your design times before. Yes, absolutely. And one of the other biggest things about it is the being able to talk to people who have been doing this for a while people when before i would meet with other game designers and we would play each other stuff and we'd have good ideas but it was it was a bunch of people who didn't know anyone else in game design and none of us had games published and now just getting to know people who already know what they're doing has been a huge help and the encouragement uh, even just the encouragement to go to a convention made all the difference in the world Nice. If you could um, distill a lot of that experience you've gained uh, over the the past while designing games into one tidbit, one nugget that will um, blow everyone's minds, what would it be? Or like one thing that stands out is like you know this this is something that I was I was uh, glad to have learned or that I experienced that that really made it all worth it. Was there any of those? So you built up a lot. You said it had to blow everyone's minds. I don't, I don't think there are any of those. <laughs> but uh, the, the main thing is is talking to people who know what they're doing more than you do. Okay. It's great to talk to people who are on an equal footing with you, but but spend time with people who know things better than you, who've done it before. These are all in quotes, by the way. These like know more than what you do <laughs> in quotes. And fail, maybe maybe failed more times. Maybe that's a better better way of saying it. Sure. Nice. <laughs> well, thank you, Yudi, for celebrating with us in this first timer palooza. <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's move along to first timer palooza part two, Electric Boogaloo with T C Petty the third. TC, you used to not be in the Game Designers of North Carolina. What has happened such that now you are? <laughs> that is, that's the greatest way of putting it. I, you know what happens? Geolocation. So I now live in the North, Car- in North Carolina area. I'm a Chapel Hill resident, and that makes me part of the Game Designers of North Carolina officially now, even though I got the t-shirt ahead of time. And someone was gracious enough to give me their three so I could be TC Petty the third. Nice. That's awful sweet of Burke for doing that for you. Yes. Some <laughs> anonymous person. Do um, How long have you been uh, designing stuff, um, I guess, e- even before joining the guild? Um, I, so I've been, I've been designing for about 10, 10 plus years now, like with games and stuff. I started by... Since that's probably the follow-up question, I started with Bleedum, which was a game about area control on a patch of animal skin, and so huh. you were you were you were fleas fighting over over different blood blisters and stuff on the side of an animal. It, it's uh, they were very religious fleas, but nice. uh, that didn't work out very well, and I didn't like the game, and so I scrapped it and moved on to something else, and I'll never come back. You talk about you scrapped that one. It's one of your earliest things. What are some things that keep you? going in game design if your very first thing that got you started you also scrapped 
Well, I, I mean, I just, I, I have an urge to design. And this is my favorite thing. So I used to think I would be a writer, but my favorite thing is making game designs. And it gives me a chance to write. It gives me a chance to create something that everybody gets involved in. And I really just, I, I like make some, some two-player and solo games, but I really like playing with like three, three to five players. I think that's like the jam. I love, I love getting a group together and just playing. So I kind of design in that space a lot more, sometimes more than that uh, people, but usually that's because I'm hanging out with a lot of people all the time and want to design for a large, larger group. But lately, no, I don't want to. I want to get back to the basics, make beautiful hybrid Euro games that everyone can enjoy. So you said you've been uh, designing stuff for 10 or so years. What are some things, if you can think of any, that maybe your perspective about game design has changed from one thing uh, when, you, when you were earlier in your design experience as uh, compared to now, now that you've been doing it for a while, or some, some either perspectives that you've had that now you kind of sit on the other side of the fence for those? Yeah, this is like a spoiler for a really good podcast topic. But um, <laughs> they, talking about like things where you go through phases as a designer. So I, I think early on I was in this phase of there's here, I don't like dice. I'm going to make a dice game. I don't like cards. I'm going to make a card game. I don't like area control. I'm going to make an area control game that, that I like. Right. And uh, I got out of that phase pretty quick because it doesn't work and it sucks and your games suck and you feel bad because you're not getting getting where you need to get to. So to get a win... I had I designed started designing for goals. I had a I had a group of people that always met up, and we always had to split into groups awkwardly. So I made a game that you could play with like seven or eight players, and that was like the first time I actually made a game for a positive reason, and it ended up working. That was uh, Viva Java, the coffee game plug, and it worked really nicely. And because it was like a Euro game that you could play with a larger group, it kind of felt unique in that space. And so I, I, I kept working on that one. And that was the first time I felt comfortable putting it in front of other people. And that's where it's like sort of expanded from there. I started taking it to things and actually went to the very first Unpub game festival with that. And it was a hit. And it's been been like that. It's been it's been a wild ride since then. But but to the, the, the whole point of this is that I went from a phase of like that to that to I don't really want to design seven and eight player games right now. I want to design other things. So I've gone through phases of just things like right now. It's just it's all about the hybridized Euro game, the mixture of theme and mechanics that feels so juicy and nice. That's all I want. Cool. Yeah, that that's <laughs> neat hearing about um, different phases. I I uh, I can appreciate that that idea because even even outside of game design, I mean, I've gone through different phases where I like different things. So I guess that that makes a lot of sense, even from a design perspective within within one uh broader hobby and with with how much variety of different things there are to explore in design that's really interesting thank you for participating in this first timer palooza um, I, I thought this was a great first timer palooza it was the first time for a first timer palooza and i yeah. thought it was uh, hopefully there's a theme song. you said first timer palooza <laughs> Well, we don't have a winner or a loser in the first time of Palooza. But I'm a, a first-timer winner. <laughs> first-time Palooza winner. Speaking of winning, let's move on to the Tell Me Something Good segment. So this is where we uh, we channel our inner soul train, and we think about uh, that song they used to sing, Tell Me Something Good, 
and then we we talk about something that's good that we're working on from a design perspective or you know maybe i'll say something that uh, other people who are not on the episode have mentioned since i started along this line i'll mention real quick uh, oh, i just i just looked up how to pronounce this uh but i forgot say the antelion severally antelion yeah there you go antelion conclave of power from daniel solis is now available on the button shy website um, so that's a game that's based on the foundation of, here's another word that I don't know how to say, Avignon, A Clash of Popes. It's a, it's a two-player influence manipulation game uh, where you use special abilities of characters to push and pull characters uh, either to your side of the table or the other side of the table. Um, so that's something that Daniel Solis just has gotten out on the Buttonshy. It's available on Buttonshy's website right now. So if that sounds cool to you, check it out. Anybody else have something you're working on or something good you want to share? I just came back from Origins, and that was fun. But uh, I think everybody that that is going for like pitching should be going to Origins. There's a lot of pitching going on and a lot of uh, good prospects, especially from GDonk members. I talked to a lot of people getting getting a lot of pitches in this this uh, this time. So go to Origins. Uh, it's a lot more relaxed for designers. It's a good place to go, but. Uh, and and that's not even the, the thing. I guess that's not really practical. That, I, mean, I guess that's practical. But I started working in video games, which is really fun for me because I always wanted to, and I've never had a chance. So I am now working on a video game for uh, I guess uh, Josh Mills got me hooked up with as a narrative editor. So now I'm I'm, I'm editing narratives in video games too. I'm not just a one trick pony. I can I can do board games and electronic games. Although my yeah. love is still board games. There's a decent number of people in the guild who um, either have experience or background in video games. Like I I used to have a job as a video game developer. Um, one of the mats, we have so many mats, but one of them uh, works in video games. Quentin, and of course Josh that you mentioned, and now you. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, coming from a video game design perspective, it, it brings different ways of looking at design that you may not get if you're only experienced is in board game design. So that that's something that may, I'm interested to see how um, how maybe that influences some of your perspectives and some of the things you consider going forward. I don't know how it's gonna work out, but I, I'm really happy to just kinda, it's one of those things where I walked in the door and felt a little bit more like at home in that situation, like I haven't for a while. So it was good to just sit down with a group that collaborates really nicely. And I think that's, that's part of what's gonna make me um, work better as like a collaborator in the future. It it's just sad that like this works so fast, and I'm just I, I I'm sad because I don't see it's not there's no corollary in the board gaming industry. But I have to say something positive. So that means that I can take this knowledge and bring it forward to other things I'm working on. And I'm already doing that with the development stuff I'm doing in board games. I'm starting to reach out and say, hey, on a personal level, I haven't shown this to anybody else. Can you give me feedback on feedback on this? And that gets everybody excited. And I think I think lying to people about excitement is like a really <laughs> good tool. <laughs> so I'm going to use that moving forward. I'm just going to lie about how excited I am about things, and everyone's going to feel like they love me. Yeah, and it'll it'll get you good on the um the buzz around. People will be like, oh yeah, this game TC's so excited about it. It must be really good. And then everyone everyone else becomes excited. Yep, that's how it's going to work. That's a, can't wait. That's a good cycle. I can't wait. I'm excited. That's so great. Everybody should listen to it. 
All right, Yudi, uh, what you working on, or what's something good that's happened with you lately? Something good. We had our uh, our Asheville chapter meeting of game designers in North Carolina last night, and it's the most people we've ever had. We're starting to yeah to get more people. So if anybody's listening and you're anywhere in the Asheville area, anywhere in the the mountainous part of the state, and you want to come to our meetings, we'd love to have you. As far as me personally, I. So I mentioned I went to my first two conventions this year. I went to Unpub and Proto-ATL. And actually, because of Unpub, I ended up signing a game. So that's exciting. And That is exciting. Uh-huh. Yeah, congrats. Excited. It was good. I, I saw, I, I, think, I think I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it, might, it might be too early to, to publicly announce it yet. But TC is excited, so we're all excited. Oh man, I'm so excited for this game. It's gonna come out. Good job, Yudi. I I hung out with you a bit at a Proto ATL, and that's where I played your Bomb Squad Love Triangle game, and that was one of the reasons that I wanted to have this episode of the podcast about making unique games because I played that. So I I like weird and unique sorts of experiences. Like I watch movies that have that quirky weirdness to them that. That's really appealing to me. And when I, when I heard your game about a bomb squad love triangle, like one of the game components is a is a paper cut out of a hand that as uh, as you progress through the game, you know some of the fingers are no longer attached to the hand because of bombs, you know things like that. That's like a that's got a quirkiness to it that is really appealing to me. And so that that was one of the the thoughts behind this episode. And so I guess we can we can use that to just kind of kick off into the main section, making unique games. So I, from my perspective, you two guys have some games that have some unique aspects to them, and I want to have some conversations about your perspectives on unique games and, you know, what you do uh, when making unique games. And so I guess let's start with why did I invite you two guys? So, uh, Yudi, uh, Bomb Squad Love Triangle, I mentioned it a little bit. Can you... Can you go into more detail for the sake of the listeners about what Bomb Squad Love Triangle is all about? Sure. And I'll go ahead and start this. When you uh, you mentioned wanting to make a wanted to have me on podcast talking about weird or unique games, my first response was, did I do I did I make a weird or unique game? <laughs> and even after you mentioned that, is that unique? I don't know. So, I'll take your word for it. You can tell me where those things come out. So, I We'll see if I can answer this question. But yeah, you, everyone, it came from the idea of wanting to design a game where you want specific other players to do well, but they may not know that you want them to do well. And so I, the initial idea was basically loading a deck, stacking a deck in somebody's favor, but them not knowing it. So Bomb Squad Love Triangle, everybody's on a bomb squad together, and there are cards that are various forms of bombs or things that can deal with bombs. And you, the other players are the ones who determine what bombs are going to be in your stack. And you don't know what's there. And you know that somebody out there wants you to do well and somebody and other people want you to do poorly. And so you're trying to decide who to trust when you're uh, basically playing a bunch of little mini games that come up from the different bombs. And yeah, if a bomb goes off, you rip a finger off your paper hand and, uh, uh, their red magic markers to help accentuate where the fingers come off. And actually, I one of my questions about this when I was at Unpub, I was really hoping that I would get a playtester who was missing fingers. They could tell me how they felt about that. 
Uh, I'm not missing any fingers, so I guess it would be it would be presumptuous of, of me to say if that's crossing any lines or not. But from my perspective, I thought it was a a fun and unique. You mentioned it was like it was like a every player has a deck of mini games almost by the by the bombs that you have in there. And yeah, going through these mini games and trying to figure out who you can trust, and I guess the the more tactile element of you know keeping your score and how many misses you have based on um, based on how many fingers you remain. Yeah, that was something that really struck me as as unique. Kind of almost the integration between you know that that series of mini games and the theme. I feel like the theme is really fitting, and it's like a an interesting and quirky theme in itself. You know, I love Triangle and Bomb Squad. Just imagine that, and it's like, oh, that's that's kind of weird, but that's that's one of the cool things about it. I was thinking it was just something that would hit home for a lot of people. You know, isn't that something that a lot of people have experienced in life? Yeah, bomb squad, love triangle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> now, uh, TC, you mentioned Viva Java. That's a game that um, it's a Euro game that has a, a pretty social, pretty significant social aspect to it, and I, I think that blend of of Euro and social is something that really makes it stand apart from from really either categories of games, Euro games or social games. Um, and that's one of the things I was thinking about. Is that for the sake of people who have not played FIFA Java? Can you just highlight some of the the main things behind it and kind of what what it does and what you're going for? Yeah. Uh, so I think, like I said before, FIFA Java was made so that you could play with large groups, and it's definitely made to be a Euro game that plays with five to eight players, which is, I guess, unique on the market in the sense that there's not many. There's not many aside from no, I guess Seven, Seven Wonders doesn't even go to eight. Maybe it goes to eight with an expansion, but yeah, I think it does with the expansion. It might, yeah, but that's okay because it didn't originally. And this game is the original, and it goes to eight. So it 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 has it has a large player count, and there's a good reason for that, as opposed to just being like a party game. Uh, there's dynamic teams in the sense that when you choose at the beginning of a round, everybody chooses a place on the on the world map to place their piece. And depending on which of the three regions of the coffee drinking world you you place your piece, you will uh, go to that country, pick up a cer- certain type of bean, and get a special ability, but that also determine what team you're on that round. And so you have to then work together with other players to make a coffee blend to put out on the market, and you'll all get credit for it. So it's kind of this, it's kind of having to work together with people who you may not necessarily want to work together with and having to have that sort of social element uh you are not fully in control of your destiny you need to overlap with other people and i think for people who have worked in a workplace at any Mm. point in their life (laughs) might find it to be like similar to that like it's workplace simulator the game but at the same time it feels fun because you don't get to travel the world and make you know coffee blends and stuff but I think that uh, that aspect of just having this large player count and then having that aspect of like encouraging the, the, the social aspect ahead of time and saying, hey, uh, why don't you go here? Because if I, you go there, I'll go there too. And we have these. And so you can talk about like what blend you'll make ahead of time. And that's all encouraged. It's not, you're not supposed to play it silent. Very different. But I kind of think like, like you were saying before, it's like mixing two things together and then expanding that. So uh, I, I don't know what unique is in that sense. I mean, it's unique in the sense that, like, literally you can't buy any other game like it. Hmm. And there is a far, dis- it is a distance. There's a big distance between, like, Aviva Java, the coffee game, and other games because of that. 
but does that make it specifically unique? I don't know. It just makes it that, like, if you buy it off the shelf and you played this game, you would get a different experience than you would from, like, a lot of games out there. Yeah. The, a couple other things that um, I was thinking from you guys. So, Xenon Profiteer, I think that's got a unique theme, and even the the mechanics of uh, of the way that you add and take cards away from your deck is is significantly different than other deck builders. You do you have that coin pushing game that uses components in a different way and has a, a physical element to it that that is pretty unique. And um, we can go into some of the details about that if if they're um, more specific to some of the, the other topics that we hit on. I wanted to put those out there so you don't feel like you just have to talk about the the initial games that I mentioned because I think that most of the stuff you guys are working on TC you're working on my father's work that that I feel like has some unique aspects to it you know any of those games I feel like they have a, a significant amount of unique aspects to them and I think that all those could be easily applicable to uh to this topic that actually brings to mind something that that struck me partway through on the the coin pushing game which still doesn't have a a uh, final title yet <laughs> I've been calling it a coin pusher battleground. It's based on the coin pusher machines at the county fair, but it's a battle. You're fighting against each other with insects on a mushroom or something like that. Yeah, I didn't realize until someone else told me that it was a dexterity game. And I think part of the reason for that is, is because it's a slow, strategic dexterity game. It's a contemplative dexterity game. And almost every dexterity game out there are like high energy, knocking things across the table kind of thing. So it has... It, it fits in the category dexterity, but it feels very different from the other dexterity games I've played. And I get that, too. I had that same feeling. Um, somebody told me that had to tell me that Viva Java was a worker placement game because I didn't think it was. And I think that might help with our perspective com- coming from like a unique perspective is that when you're making the game, you don't even, whether or not it, you don't even recognize it, even if you would know. Because dexterity yeah. right there doesn't seem to fit nicely. It's sort of like it is, but it isn't, you know? And it's the same thing as, like, worker placement. It kind of... The point of worker placement is to get stuff, which makes sense. But it kind of isn't that. You're, it's more about making your team than it is about, like, like uh, getting a, a bonus and stuff. So, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, when I'm yeah. working on a game, I'm never thinking about what category should this game be in. Or what... I'm just thinking about the game itself and what's going to make it more fun and if later on i might identify a category it would be in but but it's never a a goal to shoot for yeah Yeah, i think that's interesting how how um the way that other people would categorize the games is different than the way that maybe you both you guys would have imagined that you would have categorized them it's almost like you you came at that whatever the defining attributes of that category You, you came at that from a far enough different place that you're looking at it from like way over here instead of looking at it straight ahead, like maybe maybe some of the more um, traditional games of that category would be from. So you know what what are some things that you think make make it so that you have this game that's categorized like a worker placement game or a dexterity game, but but you're looking at it from from far apart. I mean, Kevin, you had mentioned that um, that you you just think about the game for for what it is instead of how it would be categorized. What are the things that you do to I guess look at it not as a specific category of game when you're designing it. One of the things that comes to mind when you ask that is, you know, I've heard on plenty of podcasts people bring up the question of mechanics first or theme first in design. And I realized generally the way things work for me is there'll be some some outside idea that'll 
bring something to mind. Like I might be at my kid's school and they've got these paper hand cutouts stapled on the wall. And I ask them if I can use their paper cutter to make a whole bunch of hand cutouts. And then the, uh, so there's some, some strange idea or some idea from outside of the board game world. And then, or a mechanic, I think this is probably more the idea I'm getting at. I'll have an idea for a mechanic for a game, a mechanism to use in a game. And that will prompt a theme. And then everything else in the game is just, well, what, what would make sense within that theme? That it's a, there's always a back and forth. It's always bouncing back and forth between those two. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I like, I like one of the things you were saying about, you know, you started, one of the things of where you started kind of comes from a place not in regular board games. Like you said, you saw some paper hand cutouts, uh, you know, at the school. And, you know, that that's something that is not in, inherently related to board games. But, you know, starting from a non-board game location, that I could see how that could definitely lead to some different perspectives. Absolutely. I like that. You guys know the idea that Malcolm Gladwell popularized the 10,000-hour rule that they say you you become really good at something or you hit the professional level or whatever when you've spent 10,000 hours doing it. Like if you've played the guitar for 10,000 hours, Mm -hmm. then you've got it down. Or if you've been skiing for 10,000 hours, you've got it down or whatever. And I heard somebody more recently saying, that's if you're going to be like an expert in one thing. But that's not how creativity comes. Like generally in the creative world, you will not find people who have spent 10,000 hours on one thing because we spend our time on so many different things. And I think that is really powerful that you spread yourself thin sometimes. And so you've got influences coming in from all different directions instead of 10,000 hours on one thing and one thing alone. Yeah. And I think it's important to like, I mean, I guess, I guess in, in that sense, it's good to have like something outside of board games, but I think that's just weird, weird though. Cause everybody does usually, usually it's not like someone like me, who just sits there and studies game design and works in game design and has a job in game design and does more game design on top of game design and goes to every game design convention in the world and gets burned out on everything that's game design related. And I don't think that's the norm. And I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You guys might do the exact same thing. I'm just going to assume you do because you're on this podcast. So and you must have already worked 10,000 hours in, in game design. But at the same time, I don't think everybody does. So you get these outside influences. For me, it's weird because having that much time into something means that I know what someone's doing. So like you can break down it into the basic mechanic and go, okay, yeah, it's like this because it's this and it has this. Here's that action selection mechanic and this worker placement thing. And it does this and it does that. But what I'm able to do is kind of uh, now uh, is, is able, I'm able to very quickly pick and choose from that that like cloud of ideas so luckily since i've been luckily after doing it you you get to that same point where it's like you know it was like when you first start out it could go in any direction and you don't really care about the overlap when you get to a point where it's like you have seen everything and done everything you get to the point where you can go okay um that's just that action selection mechanic which i'm going to mix with this thing and it becomes the exact same thing (laughs) it's kind of Mm -hmm. like what mechanic would fit really well with this theme? Oh, it's that one. Okay, pull. Pull that back in. How can I twist it so it makes it fit the theme really nicely? Cool. Boom. Done. Like, whereas it could, it could, uh, inspiration can hit anyone in that exact same way. It just 
you just don't have the pulling from the, you're not pulling from the cloud. You're pulling from learned experience in that case. And so I think like just being able to be open and not getting yourself stuck into like, okay, I have to make a work replacement game today. What do I want to make that theme about? That is kind of like the stuff that you can get really stuck in as someone who's been designing for a while, you get stuck in a rut doing the same thing, but there's so much out there. You can pull from anything and uh, it's great to have that knowledge. So I can just pull so many, so many things. So that's, nothing is unique to me. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause you, you seem to be coming from so immersed in the game design stuff that just start seeing, seeing unique things almost as not unique because everything has been, has been a part of something else before. And you're just trying to put together maybe, maybe things that have not been combined as, as much or as often before. Yeah, and it almost becomes no wor- you no longer wor- you allow yourself to no longer worry about whether or not it's specifically unique, and it's more unique to the specific the circumstance. And the circumstances come together in in general. I mean, that's how good games end up getting made. Is this special circumstance meets with like an awesome like mechanic that just kind of comes together really quickly. And it's usually those ideas. I mean, I I guess there might be some games out there that took literally forever for the designer to make maybe like 20 years and they started from scratch over and over again but that seems rare it seems more like your kernel of an idea grows from there and even if it's a really complex game you definitely started with that kernel that just exploded out and you mathed it out that way um i don't know how it is with you ud but like that's sort of like you start with that kernel of a good idea that misses well together and then just kind of explodes out yeah, when you say that, it, it makes me think about that. The the way I would word it is that the kernel, the good idea, the the theme, and the mechanic are playing with each other. Like the reason I do games, the reason I play games, the reason I design games is because I like to play. And so when I'm designing games, if there's an idea I'm thinking about, and I see the different components of that game playing with each other, I see. Uh, one thing that you're doing in this part of the game playing well with the fact that the game's about bombs going off, then it it's like it it makes me want to spend more time with it. Like I like to spend more time with people who are who are playful, and I like to spend more time with a game design that's already playing well within itself. When you were describing some of that, UD, I was thinking. Along similar lines, but I guess the way the way that I'll phrase it is going to be a little bit different. But in my mind, it's similar to what you're saying. Because where I come from, my background, I have done a lot of different hobbies in the past. You know, I was a competitive athlete. I've been in a handful of rock bands. You know, I used to be a, a tournament video game player, blah, blah, blah. I used to develop video games. I now analyze data. I was a coach, things like that. So I, I experienced a broad number of things. I could rattle on some more, but that's just going to sound like I'm bragging at that point. But but what I've seen in many of these is that at some level, kind of the, the patterns of what works in different creative fields, when abstracted in certain ways, are similar. Like, it almost has to be abstracted pretty pretty weirdly for it, for it to be a good corollary. But like when you're playing music, you can say, oh, th- you know, this musical phrase sounds good and works well because it does this thing over here. You know, the the success that we are having in this team athletic sport is we're doing a good job collaborating in this aspect. When things are working well together, uh, finding out how they work is similar in different fields. And so, so the way that I look at it is 
when I'm approaching game design, I try to find corollaries with how does this problem work in these other creative or other fields that I have experience in and follow the same patterns to a successful resolution that may be different than other patterns that people have followed to a successful resolution of this problem in the game design field, but they are patterns that that work out in other fields. And then just applying learnings and methods to success in other fields to drive to a conclusion in the game design field. That um, I mean, that's kind of how I look at it, which may be pretty abstract and and maybe it only makes sense in my head. But that's what I, I felt like you were you I felt like you and I were saying similar things, Yudi, when you were describing the way that you um, you know look how, at how things from outside of the game design field kind of influence and play with each other and how, how these things work together and it goes back and forth and, and uh, interacts well. That's what I felt at least. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good to me. <laughs> All right. Well, you can have that if you like it. Otherwise, whatever. You can forget I said it. <laughs> well, then how about this? Is it, if we are making games that we feel like are unique, they come from wherever they come from, is it actually the unique is is that an important aspect of the game or is that just you know the way that you guys do stuff you just happen to make stuff that's unique and so it is what it is or do you feel like the uniqueness is something that as far as that design is concerned that's an important part of it is it like is it worth it to go for unique games i do find that when i'm deciding about buying new games that i look for things that are completely different from the games i already have and I'm not thinking about that when I'm designing my own games, but I know I think about that when I'm looking at other people's designs. Yeah, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat when it comes to like these things. Like I get stuck in trends for board games, and those trends kind of just very quickly annoy me. So like, <laughs> I, and maybe that's similar to the way Mark and I have talked in the past. It's sort of like you you see something. And you're like, oh, well, I, I've already done that. I don't need to, like, like I've played the deck builder. There is no other deck builders. I don't need another deck builder. So you just, you kind of, like, push that off to the side until something new and exciting comes around. And luckily, with, like, board games, there's, like, a ton of new games all the time. And you, you get a chance to, like, experience yeah. something new, uh, even if you've, yeah, even if you've been out for a while. So I just, I don't know. I, I, I. I love finding a new, exciting little game, and I wish they were all kind of pushing in that direction, right? Like, just something to try to, like, make it stand out more. I love a good, like, Euro game, but, like, some of them fall into that trap of just being very uh, bland when it comes to, like, how they put their mechanics together. And it works, but it, like, kind of feels like cheating a little bit. So I like to see something exciting. I like to see something different. What about this one from a from a perspective of different games? I've seen several games that, in my the way that I view it at least, what they do is they take something like worker placement, and then they take something else like you know dice rolling, and they combine it to be a dice rolling worker placement game. And those are those are two sets of mechanics that both have pretty well established histories about here's how worker placements work, and here's how dice chuckers work in general. And what they do is they kind of take these general concepts and combine them to make a, a different pairing of mechanisms. To me, at least, many times it feels like it's just doing two non-unique things at the same time rather than doing one unique thing. Do you, do you feel like that's a, 
that's a challenge with trying to you mentioned that with your um viva java game you were you were kind of combining this idea about euro games and you know large group games and social and trading and things like that do you find that's a that's a challenge that that comes up with that sort of effort i think it's like i mean i i i prepared a little and i was thinking about like uh types of unique games like types of unique and one of the types is that that sort of smash up type where you you mash two things together that are sort of disparate and try to make something new out of that right and so like the the sandwich of ideas creates something so i think that is a, a good i think it's a good practice it's it, the problem is a lot of that can depending on what you lean on it can make for a game that's just kind of not that it like does not satisfy either one mm-hmm. leaning towards one of or the other is usually the better idea so that you can get an exciting version of worker placement with some dice rolling or you can get a interesting like version of like dice rolling with like just a little bit of worker placement right it's kind of like it's kind of like moving in one direction. Two other types that I had was one is like a gimmick. That's where you just go, oh, you put the you put this thing in your mouth and then you talk and you have to do these things. You've never done that before. Oh my god, there's this there's like a you, you pick up a bowling ball and that's your board and now you're going to stick stickers on it. Like that's unique. It's like those are things that are just like I'm I'm not as interested in a gimmick as I am as uh, other things, although some can really get me. I think gimmicks can get almost anybody if it's the right mm-hmm. one and that's true of themes too and the other one was like true innovation and those are difficult ones like an example would be dominion coming out with deck building what we talked about there uh it's a new mechanic an entirely new genre of game and it's like you don't just do that mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes out like to create a brand new mechanic or genre of game is really difficult and so you have like dominion you have magic the gathering these are kinds of games that like just kind of defied convention and completely it, like flipped up a flipped the expectations of gaming upside down. And um, I love those types of games. Like that, if everybody could make one of those, perfect. The odds of you doing that very very low. So I think like you know like the main types of unique come from the thing that you were talking about, mashing up some things, putting them together in a unique way. The other ones that you hear, the gimmicks come out, but like. True innovation is very rare. It's awesome if you get it, though. But that's going to take 20 years of med- meditation, and <laughs> you'll probably be working on the same game for 20 years to try to get that to happen. One of the things, though, that I think ties together the innovative game and the mashup game, as far as creating a good game out of them, is that to notice it when you see it, when you're designing a game. Like, I remember... Mm-hmm. So, I, I've always been kind of an artist and my brother is not an artist much at all but he really appreciates art and we've talked about how those are basically the same it's the same part of your brain the same part of your mind that does those two things and um a lot i sometimes i'm not a photographer but i wonder if how photographers feel like sometimes i think the what a photographer is doing is they just when they see something good they identify it. They can say, that is something I need to take a picture of, and this is the angle and the lighting I need to make sure other people saw what I saw. And so with a mashup, you can take two things that have never been done together before and put them together, but you have to be able to notice when there's a spark there. 
you have to, when you see the way that they're working well together, you notice it and you grab hold of it and you keep that part and work with that part. You know, I've heard people say that the origins of Dominion were in building decks for Magic the Gathering. And the, the thing was, the, the guys designing Dominion, when they, they saw that and they noticed it and they said, I need to take a picture of this so I can show it to other people. They said, this is something that there is something really beautiful in and really fun in. And I, I need to present it in a way that everyone can see what I see. And so for both of those things, it's being able to identify when you see just the beginnings of it and being able to put your energy into that. What is that? What is the, what is the, 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 the thing? What is the phrase for that? Like the, um, uh, the, the uh, not the sculptor. I can't remember. But there's a phrase, there's a phrase for, for, oh, yeah, t- the gardener, like being a gardener. Tending your, your, your finding, finding the best thing, tending it, tending it, and making it grow and blossom. And taking that idea into the best thing, which is, it's pretty awesome when someone finds the right connection. And I think a lot of people get envious or say weird things about that stuff. Like they go, oh, well, anybody could have done that. I had right. that yeah. like years ago. It's like, no, they, they put it together and they made took the work to like make sure the things that worked worked and the things that didn't work didn't work. They cut yeah, it. And they, they held it in their hands and, and took it around and made sure other people got to see it in just the right way, too. Because in some sense, the the deck building genre, like you take Dominion, it's it's really, and this is this is uh, this is hyperbole, warning. It's really all it is is they took you know a cards with powers game and they took the deck building for Magic the Gathering, like you said, and they just mashed those together. So really, it's not a new and unique thing. It's just mashing up some things that other people have done before from one perspective. But I I say that. Mostly to highlight that the in some sense isn't a mashup, but I feel like in this specific sense, one of the things they were mashing up was something that wasn't really a game. It's not like they took two two existing games and took the best parts of two existing games. the The deck building part of uh, collectible card games was kind of a a meta level of the game, so maybe maybe it was, but still identifying that well, aspect of nobody it and thought it up about that as the game. Nobody thought that was part of the game. Oh, yeah. Maybe some people did. I don't know. Those people, <laughs> somebody did. That's why we have Dominion and all these other games now. Because somebody did think that's that's part of the game. That's where I'm playing. That's where I like to play. So I think that's also part of part of what kind of ties it back to um, what what you, Kevin, were saying before with um, with different fields finding something that isn't a game that does it like people do it and it really exists but no one has made a game of it and mashing that up with something that you know that is a game so it can kind of turn into a game i don't have an example because if i did i would be innovating the the genre of game design right here on the spot but building a building a magic gathering deck not a game but you mashed up with with the right stuff and it becomes a new type of game you know there's probably something else you know something to do with with some hobby that people have or some other interest that's not a game but if you if you mix it with the right things it becomes a game and maybe that's maybe that's the new game that you're talking about tc the the true innovation in design yeah maybe maybe yeah maybe true innovation is just like you're saying maybe it's just taking something that people haven't observed from an angle uh, like Beauty was saying, people uh, taking something that someone hasn't observed from the angle that you want to present it, and when you find that find that spark of what's 
what's good and interesting about that thing that was never gamified, uh, it could become something unique and interesting. And I think you can get over a lot of the hurdles. Like there's some definitely uh, challenges whenever you're pitching some game that's just off the wall. But you can get over a lot of those hurdles if the game's good mm-hmm. and if that spark is there. If you just a lot of games, I guess a lot of games use like use a unique theme to hide some problems. I guess, uh, and if you're not using a unique theme to hide the problems in your game design, then you might have something there, and that's what's <laughs> what's uh, what's fun. Do you, DC? You mentioned before um, that kind of cloud of game design parts that after you've done game design for ten thousand hours, you can pull from 10, this and this hours, and, yep. yes. and see all these things. <laughs> From, do you think that from that cloud of of game design tidbits, can true innovation come from that? So I don't have these ten thousand hours, so I cannot even answer this question. But as uh, as someone who has more experience in this field than I do, do you think that that true innovation that you were mentioning can come from from kind of that angle, or or maybe is it something that that needs to be from outside of that angle because that's a you know, a cloud of stuff that already exists. I think it's interesting. Uh, well, okay. So what I would say, what I said earlier kind of gave the impression that like there, are, there's no unique things ever. And that's what I wanted to do is come kind of come back to that and say like, that's like the whole point of that is that like it is, there is the possibility of that. In fact, you'll see a lot of some of the most, some of the best game designers out there when they do something innovative they do something innovative that goes off off the deep end. There are some designers that come onto the scene and they do some crazy things. That's for sure. But in general, the people that the people that the people that come on the scene and have been there for a long time, they're the ones that come up with these really weird games. And they could just come out of nowhere just after years of doing this. And it's because they're just open to that. They're receptive to the idea of that, and they're going to question their initial impression and they're not going to overlap with someone else like the odds that like when if uve rosenberg told me he had a very innovative game he wanted me to play i would believe him because he hasn't he's played he's played and made so many games that like there's no chance that he would be there's a very low chance he's overlapping with someone else so it's kind of interesting i was also thinking like um you know on the spot of like making unique games and everything it's like the, the the thing about like pulling things from the clouds is like that uh, some of the ways that I was thinking about, like the ways that I've made games in the past that are kind of unique is through failure, overthinking, and not overthinking things. All of those things <laughs> are, are the things. I've had games that have lasted, that, that have become very innovative after working on them for four years. I've had games that, uh, that I failed to make that are really cool and innovative, but they're not fun. And then just not overthinking things, coming up with something in the shower. It's like, yeah, but it, but it's like those weird things. Like being receptive to it means that like you can get past the whole like cloud, and you can like focus on oh wow yeah this I'm looking in the cloud and there's nothing. Oh man, I'm pulling this idea from nowhere. Oh, this is great. This feels good. That's an interesting pr- perspective that I had never considered before. That one of the keys to making sure you can figure out the unique things or identify a unique thing when you see it is by having so much depth of experience in the field that you can you can kind of see out of the cloud and see see if it is something that that really is unique you know having having that eye of experience to be able to identify that better that's something i had not considered that 
that um that the experience and the depth is what uh, leads to more unique things uh, i think that a popular perspective the one that kind of makes sense at at one level is the less you are entrenched in here's how you design a game then the more outside of the box you can think and you can approach it from an angle that no one has before because you're not just ingrained in the standards of game design as they exist today. But yeah, I, so I thought that was neat, you you coming out from that other angle about, you know, you get past these trenches, you no longer are entrenched because you know so much that you you can more easily veer out of these trenches when you when you see yeah. an opportunity. So, so much that you know nothing. You realize that you know nothing. I always love that, that phrase that like an expert is someone who knows so much that they realize they know nothing. Luckily, the board game industry gives us a good amount of examples of people who have already <laughs> had games games out that do this. Yeah, so I just say, hey, for anybody out there, that there's hope that if you just spend a, a measly 10,000 hours <laughs> designing board games, you, you, can, you can do it. You can make one unique game, maybe. Uh, but I, but I, I will say, I want to put a caveat there that there are a lot of career designers out there that will never get to that point and they just keep on putting out stuff. And that's great. But, like, that's not going to be me. And it doesn't have to be you either, dear listener. <laughs> and I'm going to encourage the listeners out there to spend <laughs> spend one hour each on 10,000 different things. <laughs> <laughs> and probably one of them will be a good idea for a board game. <laughs> I like that idea, too. Although that's you know doesn't apply to my life, so I uh, you know I'm angry and envious. <laughs> and then then I'll go in the other direction, and say find ten things and spend ten thousand hours on each of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> and I, I I feel like at least one of those approaches should lead to something. <laughs> So that's all you have to do, dear listener. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I, I do like, definitely like the takeaway that it's not just these untainted, new, fresh designer minds that are the only brains that can come up with these unique things because they, they don't know enough to do the regular stuff. I definitely believe that is possible, but I think the more that I see and I... And I think that this is very similar to what you're echoing, DC, is that it's probably not going to come from that angle. Someone who knows almost nothing about the game design using their unique perspective to come up with, with this innovative game. I, I, think that, I think that it's probably right that you have to know enough to know what you don't know. And then you have to go learn some of that stuff that you don't know. And that's where it is. <laughs> uh, perfect phrasing. So everybody, everybody go home, learn something you don't know, and and make a game about it, and spend 10,000 hours on the game and the thing, and you'll have a perfect game. Solved. You know, I one thing that I also like is um, how the end of this conversation landed somewhere entirely unpredictable if you had asked me, you know, an hour ago where we were going to go. And that, uh, that is such an unexpected and unique experience that I'm glad we've done this together. So unique. <laughs> All right. Um, well, if anyone wants to add anything else, let's do that now. Otherwise, we can, we can wrap this one up. I think, I think we've had a great time, and I have enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything else anyone wants to add? I feel uh, like we've covered everything. Covered <laughs> 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 everything in game design. No, everything. Yeah, seriously. <laughs>
All right. So if you want to discuss this episode or just talk to us in general, please feel free to visit our guild on BoardGameGeek. You can go to podcast.gdofnc.com and that'll redirect you to the guild on BoardGameGeek. We welcome all feedback and we're interested to hear what your thoughts are. Um, And if you have anything you want to enlighten us with or contribute to the conversation, we want that. Um, We have a group Twitter account that you can follow at GDofNC, which stands for Game Designers of North Carolina. So yeah, so TC, if anyone wants to follow up with you and argue with you about your wrong opinions about something or praise you for your excellent insights into something that no one has thought about before, how would be a way they could contact you or follow you or something? Well, you can follow me on the Twitter at Puppy Shogun. And uh, because my name is TC Petty III, I decided to use a very easy-to-remember handle, Puppy Shogun. Also, I, I guess, hey, we're doing that whole, we're doing the whole posting of deep design episodes here on the, the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast feed. So look out for me talking to you more in other forums that are like less, less uh, unscripted, more scripted, and, and therefore more perfect. <laughs> Excellent. He puts 10,000 hours into every episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's why they're all unique snowflakes. Kevin, if if anyone was inspired by what you've contributed and would like to uh, would like to be able to follow you to, you know, gather up any scraps of inspiration and wisdom that you drop behind you, how could they uh, how could they get up with you? Again, my last name is Yudi, spelled U-D-E, and that will help you find me, because there aren't many of us out there. But my Twitter is Yudi Games, and uh, probably the best place to get in touch with me is through Board Game Geek, uh, where you can find me as Kevin Yudi, or Yudi Yudi Yudi. Yudi Yudi Yudi. All right. And if anybody cares, my Twitter handle is mmark40, and you can reach out to me there. But yeah, we also have the, um, the Guild Twitter handle. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. I hope that you had a great time listening because we have been having a great time recording this. We'll catch you around later.